0: In reading the book of Jeremiah this month, you have become acquainted with an individual who wanted to do the will of God and yet felt inadequate. An individual, when he was doing God's will and was persecuted because of it, wanted to stop. And as we'll notice in our passage this morning, an individual who questioned God, who did not understand why certain things were taking place, who was unclear about what was happening and why. As we see in our study of Jeremiah chapter 12, The passage directs us to follow the Lord even when we don't understand. You and I have a general concept that we believe is best. And yet our experience teaches us that what we think should happen does not always happen. The person who is most qualified for a promotion does not always get the job. Just because you have the most experience, just because you're the hardest worker, does not mean that you will be rewarded. The person who is honest is not always recognized. Just because you do the right thing does not necessarily mean that others will treat you with the appreciation that they should. And the person who faithfully serves God does not always escape tragedy in their life. Just because an individual is faithful and devoted does not mean that they will not face physical problems or relational problems, or difficulties. And we recognize that although we want good things to happen to those who do good, we live in a world in which bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to the wicked, and we don't understand when those things that occur that are unjust we complain that they are unfair in our minds by way our way of thinking good people should be blessed and wicked people should be punished but it often happens just the opposite and we're left to question why the wicked seem to flourish When the good so often struggle. If you've ever pondered those questions, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the wicked prosper when the good seem to be suffering? You're thinking about questions like Jeremiah thought about them. You're thinking like Job thought about them. You're thinking like Habakkuk thought about them. All of those individuals wanted to question God. They wanted to challenge God, although they believed God to be righteous, although they believed God to be good. They did not understand how bad things could continue to take place. But in the middle of Jeremiah's questions, God answers. And what we learn is that we must trust Him no matter what. And so I encourage you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. And we're going to notice three particular sections in this chapter that exhort us to follow the Lord when we do not understand. The first is in the first four verses of the passage. We must follow the Lord when we don't understand why the wicked prosper. And this is what Jeremiah really is dealing with in the text. The passage says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, let me talk about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously... You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You've seen me. You have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and the birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said, He will not see our final end. Jeremiah is living in a period in Judah in which the Babylonians are pressing down hard upon God's people. The enemies are surrounding those who are supposed to be a special treasure of God, and he doesn't understand why God, who clearly is righteous, is allowing all of this to take place. And so you see Jeremiah's problem in the first two verses of the passage. He's not arguing about the fact that God is a righteous God. He understands that. He's willing to defend the idea. Righteous are You, O Lord, when I plead with You. God, You are reasonable. You are righteous. You are just. When I pray to You, I know that You hear me. When I call upon You, I know that You understand. You are the God who does what's right. You are the God who is pure and cannot behold evil. Jeremiah would readily have recognized that God was not just all-loving and righteous, but that He also was all-powerful and that He was all-knowing. He understood that he served a God who had the ability to know all things. He understood that he served a God who had the ability to do all things, and yet he lived in a world in which the wicked prospered and the good were being punished, and he didn't understand why God failed to intervene. This is Jeremiah's problem. How is it that a God who is powerful and a God who is aware is unwilling to keep the wicked from prospering or the good from suffering. And just to make very clear what he's talking about, he goes on in verses 3 and 4, and he says, But you, Lord, know me. You have seen me. You have tested my heart toward you. God, what I'm saying to You is pure. I'm not saying this out of a base intention. I'm not saying this because I'm seeking to be selfish. Consider my heart, God. Know who I am before You think about what I'm saying to You. These individuals that You are blessing, You're near in their mouth, but far from their mind. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? God, you're allowing us to suffer because of them. Consider my heart. Perform your will. It's the problem that Jeremiah has. It's not a problem that we're unfamiliar with. We know the same issue this problem of evil, how is it possible that a God who is completely good, a God who is completely powerful, still lets the wicked prosper? Why wouldn't He stop that? Why wouldn't He intervene? Why won't He act? And so individuals struggle. And some have gone so far as to conclude that the problem of evil actually shows that there is no God. And we're left to ask, how do you reconcile this? How is it possible for us to claim, on the one hand, that we serve a God who is sovereign, a God who is in control, a God who is not just in a position of authority but who has the ability to do all things who is always good and who is all-knowing, and at the same time, we know from our experiences that there are events where wicked individuals do seem to succeed while the honest and the just and the good struggle. How is this concept compatible? As we go through Scripture, there are certain answers that perhaps might be useful for us. It's important for us to remember that God created this world for a purpose. His purpose was not so that those who are good would be exalted and so that those who are evil would be punished. That's not the ultimate purpose of the creation. The ultimate purpose of the creation is to provide an environment where man in his freedom, would be able to seek the Lord. In other words, that you would have a choice. That you could either seek to do the will of God or that you could, of your own volition, reject God. That you could seek to obey Him even when difficult or that you could refuse to obey Him when advantageous. Scripture tells us that Jesus came to this earth for the purpose of bringing many sons to glory. The glory that Jesus brings us to is not glory that we receive here upon this earth. It is that heavenly reward that awaits after this life has ended. And so one way to reconcile the problem of evil is to understand the purpose for which God created. This world is, as some have said, a veil of soul making. It is the place where you and I have the opportunity to seek the Lord, to grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us, Acts chapter 17 tells us. A world in which we have the ability to exercise our freedom of will, and others also have that same ability, and there are consequences that result because of that freedom. And a world in which even our difficulties, our struggles, and our trials help us to grow stronger. A world where the testing of our faith does indeed produce patience, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. How do we reconcile this problem that Jeremiah is struggling with? by realizing that this world is not all that there is, and by understanding that God will eventually make all things right. A point Jeremiah did not understand. Look for just a moment, hold your place in Jeremiah 12, and go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to notice what Paul writes to the Thessalonians who obviously were struggling under persecution. He says in verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly And the love of every one of you abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast among you, among the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations which you endure. These people are being persecuted, they are facing tribulation, and yet their faith is growing. They're not rejecting God because they're facing difficulty, they're growing closer to God because of it. They're not turning away from one another because they're facing difficulty. They are learning to love and depend upon one another more because of the difficulties that they face. And Paul goes on to say to them in verse 5, this is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Their growth was evidence of God's righteousness But he wanted to remind them that there was going to come a time of punishment for the wicked. Yes, sometimes in this life the wicked are exalted and the righteous suffer, but there will come a point in time in which God will make all things right. And so he says, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we reconcile the problem that Jeremiah is struggling with? God, you are righteous, but the wicked are prospering. By understanding the purpose of our creation. By recognizing the necessity of free will, that you can choose God if you desire or reject God if you wish and by realizing that our suffering does indeed have benefits, all the while knowing that God will make all things right in the end. What's interesting to me about Jeremiah chapter 12 is that it does not just record Jeremiah's question. He certainly did not understand, but it also records a response that God gives to him. And the response that God gives is not necessarily something that you would expect upon reading Jeremiah's issue. What God instead does is to begin to tell Jeremiah here's how you remain faithful, even in your doubts. Even when you're quite unsure of why things are occurring as they are occurring, this is what you do to keep yourself from quitting. This is what you do to keep yourself from giving up. So notice the response. Jeremiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how shall you contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? For even your brothers, the house of your father, Even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. He begins by telling Jeremiah this very simply. Look, Jeremiah, if this problem is troubling you, there are going to be others that are going to be even greater. Don't quit when times get difficult. And herein lies our great challenge. We wrestle with a problem like the problem of evil, and we think this, no doubt, is the greatest problem that could ever exist. That was what Jeremiah was doing. And what God says in response is not an answer to Jeremiah's query. It is instead a statement that shows Jeremiah how little he actually knows. Jeremiah, if you've run with the footman, if you really think that this question is the most difficult one to resolve, what are you going to do when you face an even greater one? If you think that because of the freedom that individuals experience, That a wicked person succeeding and a good person being punished is the greatest challenge to the existence of God. What are you going to do when a real tragedy strikes in your life? And so he tells Jeremiah, you do not quit. You do not give up when times begin to get difficult. You do not quit when you don't understand the answer to a question. You learn to trust in God. You don't even quit when your family and your friends turn upon you. Verse 6 makes it clear that that was what was taking place. Even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Jeremiah, things are going to become even more complicated because your own family members are going to turn their backs upon you. Will you give up then? They'll call a multitude after you. Don't believe them. Even though they speak smooth words, to you. Don't quit when things begin to get difficult. Don't quit when family and friends turn upon you. Or thirdly, don't quit when it seems that God has forsaken you. He goes on in verse 7 and he says, I have forsaken my house. I have left my heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Here's Jeremiah saying, God, we're your people. And God is saying, I have left my people because my people have left me. And how many times do individuals in the trials of life throw their hands up in the air and say, God is no longer with me, I must quit? It's even reminiscent of Jesus hanging upon the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet we know God had not. And God's willingness to allow the Babylonians to punish the people of Judah was not forsaking His people. It was teaching His people. Don't quit when it seems that God has forsaken you. Don't quit when God's people don't act like they should. Look at verses 8 and 9. God says of His people, My heritage is to me like a lion in the forest. It cries out against me, therefore I have hated it. My heritage is to me like a speckled vulture. The vultures all around are against her. Come, assemble all the beasts of the field. Bring them to devour. Are there times in which even Christians don't act like they should? There are, aren't there? When individuals who ought to know better, when individuals who ought to honor God by their actions or their words don't talk like Christians should talk, don't live like Christians should live, and sometimes individuals become so disgusted and discouraged, they're ready to quit. If those people are going to act that way, I want no part of them. And yet God is telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, that's no reason to give up. My people are going to act like lions. They're going to stalk one another. They're going to act like vultures. They're going to pick one another apart. But you don't give up. You don't quit. You don't quit when times are difficult. You don't quit when your family and friends turn upon you. You don't quit if it seems God's forsaken you. You don't quit when God's people fail to act like they should. And you don't quit even when individuals fail to use God's blessings appropriately. In verse 10 of the passage, he says, many rulers have destroyed my vineyard. When the word vineyard is used in Scripture, especially in conjunction with God, it's talking about the blessings that God continues to provide for His people. He says, the rulers have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. There's no doubt about the fact that God has provided blessing after blessing for His people And yet we take those blessings for granted and we act as if they have no bearing or significance. Don't quit. Even if you don't understand how to remain faithful, you don't give up. He adds in verse 11 that you should not give up when people around you become indifferent. They have made it desolate. Desolate. It mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate because no one takes it to heart. Jeremiah probably wondered why all of the other people around him were going about their daily lives as if nothing really mattered. How is it possible for individuals to conduct themselves as if what the Lord has said is insignificant? Is it easy for us to join in that complacency? Certainly it is. But God tells Jeremiah, you don't quit. Even when everyone around acts as if nothing really matters, you don't give up. You don't develop that mentality. Don't quit, Jeremiah, because of the turmoil you're going to face. Verse 12, the plunderers have come on all the desolate heights in the wilderness, for the sword of the Lord shall devour. From one end of the land to the other end of the land, no flesh shall have peace. When you are in turmoil, you don't quit. And when you are facing great difficulty Perhaps even outcomes that you never expected. You don't quit. Verse 13, they have sown wheat, but reaped thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but do not profit. But be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. How many times do individuals say things like this? This isn't what I expected my life to be like. This isn't what I planned for. It's not what I wanted. And how many times, when individuals are saying things like that, are they ready to? It may be in your life that you have sown wheat and you reap thorns and you want to question God like Jeremiah. Righteous are you, God, when I call. But God wanted the prophet to understand don't give up even when you're unclear. Don't give up when the good suffer and the bad seem to be rewarded. Don't give up when everything around you would cause you to want to give in and quit. And then thirdly this morning, don't give up. Follow the Lord when you don't understand God's plan you have to realize what Jeremiah was doing at the beginning of this passage. He's questioning how God could use a nation that is obviously much more wicked than the people of Judah to punish the people of Judah. In other words, he's saying to God, God, I think your plan is fundamentally flawed. I don't like the plan that you're using here. Yes, do we deserve to be punished? Certainly we do, but surely there's a better way. You're using people that are more wicked than we are to punish us He did not understand the plan of God. And so he says in verse 14, and this is Jeremiah's, uh, the conversation continues, the Lord is saying, thus says the Lord against all my evil neighbors who touch my inheritance, which I have caused my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of the land and pluck out the house of Judah from among them. God says, Jeremiah, I have a plan. I will take care of what's going to happen. The nations that are bothering my people, I'll take them from the land as well. I'll pluck my people from the land. I'll pluck the enemies from the land. I will remove all of it at my will. But then he says something else. Verse 15. It shall be after I have plucked them out that I will return and have compassion on them and bring them back. Everyone to his heritage and everyone to his land. This is where Jeremiah doesn't understand. God, you're righteous. Why are you doing this? God says, I'm going to remove my people. I'm going to remove the enemies. But then I'll bring them back. Not just the people, but the enemies. And yet, he calls Jeremiah to trust. I want you to notice how the chapter ends. Look at verses 16 and 17. The passage says, and it shall be if they will learn. These are the enemies that he's talking about. If they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy the nation, says the Lord. God's plan. Will His people be restored? Yes. What about those who persecuted the people? They have an opportunity for restoration as well. In other words, God's grace is available to all. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. And in this passage, what we see as we walk through the text is that this graciousness is rewarded on the basis of submission. A few simple words that you find in verses 16 and 17. If you'll notice at the beginning of verse 16, it shall be if they will learn. God is giving individuals an opportunity to hear His plan and learn it. We have that same opportunity today. Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But these individuals don't just have the opportunity to to learn. The individuals also have the opportunity to acknowledge. For the text goes on to say, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal. There was a time in which the people of Judah were taught by their enemies, you acknowledge Baal as your Lord. God now calls them to acknowledge Him. We have to do the same thing. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. He who comes to God must believe that He is, that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We confess Him with our mouth, Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. But the individuals also had to obey for verse 17 says, if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation. You have to do the same thing. You have to learn God's plan. You have to acknowledge God. You must obey God. Obeying that form of doctrine to which you have been delivered. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Obedience that includes submission to God and Baptism. And we notice that God's plan is very clear that reward follows obedience and that punishment follows disobedience. Are there things that we don't understand? Yes. Why do the wicked prosper? God, how is it that you have a plan and I don't understand that plan? Why shouldn't I quit Why should I remain faithful? And God calls upon us to simply yield to His will. I mentioned to you last week that Jeremiah is one of the tragic figures in all of Scripture. I believe that. And yet, despite the difficulties that he faced, Jeremiah followed the Lord. He did not quit preaching God's message even though he felt inadequate, even though he wanted to quit, and even though he did not understand. And you and I must not quit following the Lord even though we feel inadequate, and even though we sometimes want to quit, and even though we don't understand. How thankful we should be for the opportunity to submit to God's plan to learn God's plan, to acknowledge our Lord, to obey our Lord. Just like the wicked nations that persecuted Judah, God is willing to restore us, bringing us back from our sins into a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ.